0: Welcome to Monday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com. John Schmelk, Jeff Fiegels with you. A very busy show today. We'll try to play. Did you play with Jeff Feagles a little bit later on? We'll take a couple fan questions. And later on the show, we'll be joined by Benjamin Solak and Trevor Sykema from the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast and thedraftnetwork.com. But first, we continue our run around all of the prospects from the big-time power schools in ncaa that are heading out into the draft and joining us every year i think this is year four or five with us is bill rabinowitz who covers the ohio state buckeyes and has for a very very long time out there in ohio bill you got john Schmelk and jeff feagles here um in different locations in the state of new jersey in social isolation we really appreciate you joining us today man thanks so much Yeah, thank you. happy
1: to do it i hope you guys i know you're kind of in the epicenter of it so i hope you guys are staying safe
0: we are. We hope so. <laughs> and, and and we always joke, Bill. The only good thing about this is that Jeff and I don't have to look at each other when we do the show You got anymore. that right. So <laughs> all we gotta do is hear
2: each other. That's even better.
0: In some ways, we're all winners. Um, <laughs> uh, let Let's start with this, and I'll start with the obvious one, Bill, and that's Chase Young. I don't want to spend too much time on him, because I don't think he's going to be there for the Giants at four anyway, but is he all that's advertised, and can you give a little... How about this? Is he all that's advertised, and can you compare him to what you thought Nick Bosa was when he was coming out in the draft last year?
1: Yeah, um, you know, I get that question a lot, obviously. Uh, they're very similar in certain ways. But first of all, they're both dominant players. You can't go wrong with either one. Um, you know... I we didn't see the best of Nick Bosa for very long because he got hurt early in his junior year. So we, we never really saw that. He was off to a phenomenal start, just like Chase Young was. I think Chase Young, uh, I think uh, Nick Bosa was maybe a little more consistent in the time that we did see him play. Uh, Chase Young was spectacular uh, most of the year. Then after he came off the suspension, he didn't have the, the production uh, that he'd had before, but and that could be misleading. Um, you know, I, I, I'm one of those people who thinks that sacks can be overrated. That that sometimes just uh, getting pressure and in, in harassing a quarterback can be just as good, if not better. Uh, or the pressure can set up a sack for somebody else. It's pretty rare that a player just rushes off the edge and just gets a sack by himself. It's usually because the quarterback flushed out of the pocket has to delay or whatever. So he was still a dominant player even in the last you know, three games, but he just, he didn't put up the numbers that he, that he did earlier. So, um, but he plays the run well. He's obviously a phenomenal pass rusher, a high character guy. Um, he's a more outgoing guy than the Boses were. Oh, the Knicks more outgoing than Joey, but, you know, Chase has got, got a, you know, more of a loud personality, not in a bad way, but he's just an, out, an outgoing guy. And so, um, you know, again, it's when you start kind of nitpicking that's really what it is it's nitpicking it's he's a he's a phenomenal player certainly worthy of of the second pick of the draft or even the first pick of the draft but i'm pretty sure that the bengal's are going to take joe burrow
2: yeah I got a real one, quick question about Chase Young. Obviously, the player that he is, everybody knows about him. So he was up against a lot of double teams. How did he? How did he uh, actually do against those double teams? And then one other question too with Chase is that if he had a a drawback on him as far as a technique issue, um, we obviously know he's a quick guy off the line of scrimmage. What would that be?
1: Yeah. You know, as far as the technique issue, I, you know, I think he improved a lot. I think early in his in his career, he did rely on just his natural ability. But when you are coached by Larry Johnson, he insists that he calls it the toolbox. You have to really be able to use all the tools in your toolbox. And, and over time, because Chase Young is a student of the game, his technique really got refined. Mm-hmm. And so I think by the time he left Ohio State, he was a, a very polished player. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sorry, what was your first question?
2: Well, I'm just saying he had a lot of double teams, so what was yeah, his...
1: Yeah, he handled that, at least, you know, when he talked to us about it, uh, the media, he he accepted it. He kind of took it as a a, um, a compliment that teams would do that. He didn't, you know, get overly frustrated by it. I'm sure he was, because everyone wants to be able to, yeah. uh, you know, not have to face double or triple teams. But there were times that he would beat double and triple teams. So uh, it wasn't like teams were kind of going one-on-one with him very often. They They didn't. And uh, so he got used to it. I think one thing in the pros is that he'll he'll flourish is because he's not going to get those. You know, all these all the pros are good. You can't just double or triple team a guy. You're not going to do it with a rookie. Um, and so I think that he's looking forward to that. Just being able to say, okay, I'm one of eleven here. I'm not the guy that every offensive coordinator is going to gear their game plan around.
0: All right, let's uh, jump to Jeffrey Okuda, Bill. One of the, uh, perhaps the next guy. A lot of people believe um, will be coming off the board and obviously you guys have put so many defensive backs and cornerbacks into the NFL. Just go down the list. How does Okuda compare to a lot of those guys that have come out the last few years?
1: Yeah, he, he might be the most polished of all of them. He, he was uh, just... So, so solid last year. The one knock on him coming into the year was that he didn't have any interceptions. Uh, And, and again, some of that is because Ohio State until this year played almost exclusively man-to-man coverage. It's a lot tougher to get interceptions when you're in man man press coverage because you're not really looking at the ball very much. You're not reading the quarterback's eyes because you're with your receiver. This year they incorporated some zone coverage. He had two interceptions. I forget which game it was. It might have been Indiana. I can't remember which game. But you know, and then teams just pretty much stopped throwing his direction. I mean, he, he was good in every aspect of the game. He was good in run support. He was exceptional in coverage. He's a smart player. He's a smart guy. He's just—he's a really intelligent person. And so, um, he's—I think as close to a sure thing at cornerback as you're going to find. And, and you know, as you said. Ohio State's produced so many good cornerbacks, and of all the guys they've produced, I mean, I'd I'd put him near or at the top of the list in terms of who's ready to be an impact player in the NFL. I'll be shocked if he doesn't come in next year, wherever he goes, and just be that lockdown corner, and the the team says, okay, we've got him for the next foreseeable future. We don't have to worry about that position anymore.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think that he's a guy that you know can step right in at that at that level, um, both because of his athleticism and his ability to cover, but also his in, the importance of being smart. I think we're all up against the ball, you know, as far as talking about the NFL and and not having an off season at this point. Right where we're at, you know, these guys that are that are smart are going to be able to have to pick up these systems quickly. This is probably a really good thing for Jeff Okuda and being as, as intelligent he is.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, you're not going to have you're not going to have mini camps, probably. I mean, I'm guessing you're not going to have a rookie mini camp for sure.
2: Mm-hmm. You're
1: not going to have regular mini camps, possibly. You might not have training camp. I mean, who knows? I mean, nobody yeah. knows what's going to happen. Sure. So, yeah, you're you're right. The, the the more the teams can rely on players to be mature and intelligent and responsible, the more attractive they're going to be.
0: All right, I want to jump to J.K. Dobbins. A lot of people think he's one of the top three or four, maybe the top running back uh, on the board this year, Bill. And again, I see this about every position, it seems like. You guys have sent a lot of good really running backs to the pros the last few years. <laughs> right, um, so right. uh, just g- give me your take on Dobbins. I think a lot of people thought he maybe came, at, came out of nowhere a little bit this year.
1: Well, he, he didn't. He didn't. I mean, he had a very good freshman year at Ohio State. Mike Weber, who was kind of expected to be the the lead runner, battled hamstring issues that year, and so J.K. Dobbins, as a true freshman, got most of the of the carries. And then, as a sophomore, Weber was healthy. They split it more fifty fifty. And Dobbins did not have a very good year. I mean, he called it. I mean, he was the harshest critic. He called it a failure, and just was really down on himself about that, and then vowed. That he would work his butt off in the off season to become the player he thought he would be, the best running back in the country, and he, he, he certainly did it. You know, I, I saw Jonathan Taylor twice, and they're, they're both great running backs. I'm not sure I'd pick one over the other, but the fact that they're they're both really really good, and you know, obviously there are others too. Um, you know, Dobbins may turn himself from what probably if he'd come out last year he would have been a mid to late round pick into a you know, if running backs weren't so devalued, he'd be a, a late first-round pick. He's probably looking at the second round right now. God, I sound like Mel Kuyper. scares me. Um, <laughs>
2: uh,
1: but he, he's, he he reminds me a little bit of Ezekiel Elliott. Um, he's got great vision. He's good uh, getting yards after contact. I think he's uh, less of a knucklehead, honestly, than, than, than Ezekiel has been in the pros a little bit. Uh, hopefully he's gotten past those early career bumps, you know, you know Elliott has, but I don't think you're going to have any of that with J.K. Dobbins. He's a, he's a really mature kid, um, and you know, he lost his father when he was young, and, and just a bit of a very determined player. And uh, he's one of those guys you're generally happy that he has success because you know he's overcome a lot, and he's, he's, a, he's a good guy.
2: Well, I'll tell you what—we have a, a guy over there down the turnpike from at uh, the Eagles, named Boston Scott. It reminds me a lot of him. He's five foot nine, um, third good third down back. I think he'll find a home somewhere in the National Football League this year because of those uh, the skill set that he has for that. So that'll be good for him. And um, you know, we wish him the best of luck because he is an exciting player. And I think the league is kind of going back to that little uh, that little scat back on third down. Or, but you know, I'm sure that he could probably carry the load of running too. So wherever he goes, he's definitely going to get a shot. To do that,
1: yeah, um, you know, and, and you know, with Dobbins, he proved he could be a workhorse this year. He's the first Ohio State runner ever to run for 2,000 yards in a season. When you consider wow, the players they've had now, he played what 14 games, so that <laughs> you know, <it> certainly helped, <laughs> yeah. But and, you know, Ezekiel Elliott, uh, people think about him in 2014 as having this unbelievable year. It was really late in the year that he took off, he was just okay for most of the year. Dobbins was great all year, and the thing about Dobbins, he could have had—he seriously could have had three thousand yards because he didn't play for most of the second halves of Ohio State games. It was, for most of the, of the season, he had like four carries in the second half because they were blowing everybody out. Master Teague, his backup, made the third-team All Big Ten. Did he really? He had so many carries. Yeah.
0: Wow. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah. So you know, J.K. Dobbins could have put up just astronomical numbers. Uh, Now, then again, the extra carries could have meant he got hurt. You know, who knows what would have happened. But uh, he did not put up the numbers that he could have only because Ohio State was so dominant last year.
0: All right, let's jump to Malik Harrison. because He's an interesting player, Bill. I I watched him at the Senior Bowl up close and personal. Comes downhill so well. A really good tackler. Um, he seems to know what he's doing. My question for you on Harrison are his coverage skills. Uh, his, his combine numbers, it looked like the athleticism is there where he can cover, but was he asked to cover a lot of Ohio, at Ohio State? And when he was asked, how did he do in coverage?
1: Yeah, that's going to be a question for him. I mean, he, the thing that strikes you about him, he's just so big. And He's big and fast. Um, so that's the thing that kind of jumps at you on, out when you watch him live. Um, he was a three-star recruit. He was an, un, un, an overlooked guy. He didn't really have a position coming into college. And then Luke Fickle, who was the linebacker's coach then, said, okay, you're going to be a linebacker. And he took to it and really developed. He was a quiet guy, uh, very unassuming. But he he turned into, he was, he was the best of their linebackers last year. And they had very good linebacker play. Now, the guy who covered uh, was more of a pass-coverage linebacker was Pete Warner. I and mean, they had him play everywhere almost. So so Harrison didn't have to they weren't they didn't ask him to do that kind of stuff that often. Um, I think he can learn it. I think he's a good enough athlete. I'm not sure he's got the you know, because he's so big, I don't know that he's got kind of a hips or whatever to, to be great in that area, but I think right. he can be serviceable. Uh, and I think he can be a really good edge rusher. He's, he's more versatile than you'd think for a big guy. Uh, you know I think that he's projected maybe a third round guy, which makes sense to me. i think he'd be a great pick in the third round and i wouldn't i wouldn't be uh if i were an NFL team and took him in the second round i don't think that's a mistake either but um you know he's got a little bit of you know a little bit to prove just because you know he he wasn't asked to do everything at ohio state, but a solid guy good guy um i, I think he'll be a, a very solid pro.
0: I want to follow up on that on, on that real quick on Harrison. How much was he asked to rush the passer on third downs? You mentioned maybe you think he could be used as a blitzer or even an edge rusher.
1: Well, the thing is, uh, he wasn't asked to do that a lot because Ohio State's four-man pass <laughs> rushes to the linemen were so good; they didn't have to blitz. Right. So, you know, he, I think he's a really good blitzer. Uh, I think he he can be really good at that. But when you've got Chase Young and you've got uh, Devon Hamilton, and you've got all these other guys that could rush the passer, Tyreek Smith. And, I mean, they, they, why are why blitz? you know? Yeah. And so they didn't ask him to.
2: Well, he certainly got the height and the weight to be an edge rusher in a uh, 3-4 defense. So, you know, right. who, who knows? Maybe, you know, I know that John's a little high on, on Malik for the Giants possibly, and at the, at the the pick that you had mentioned, we'll have to see what happens. So, um, yeah, I could
1: see him playing, you know, being a Steeler. I could see that. <laughs> Picture him as a Steeler, you know, in uh, that 3-4, in that 3-4 that play.
2: Well, there was a good Harrison that played for the Steelers back in the day, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. this one is not nearly as
0: nothing, <laughs> I can assure you. How about Damon Arnett? Um, he did not run as well as I think a lot of people thought he he would at the combine, uh, Bill. So uh, let's start with the with that part first, and then I want to talk to you about his off-the-field stuff, because you probably have a much better feel for him in that regard than we do. Uh, obviously, Jeffrey Okuda, did he always cover the other team's best receiver, Okuda, or did Arnett sometimes get matched up on the other team's best receiver, too?
1: yeah they, no it, it was more of the latter i mean it was it was they didn't really like to say okay there's the best guy and Okuda, oh, you got him and let's, okay let's stick you know I mean that's not really the way they play and Arnett was good enough that they didn't need to do that he had he had a he's an interesting guy that my game day cover story on him and, and got to know him and his, and his dad pretty well um a really interesting up and down career he was on the verge of going leaving last year even though he had a really mediocre junior year but he just was kind of fed up and said I'm, I'm out of here. I asked him after the Rose Bowl when they beat Washington you know, which way you lean and he said basically I'm out of here. And then he talked to other people including Chris Carter, a former Ohio State uh, wide receiver and obviously NFL Hall of Famer and he's a family friend and Chris Carter basically said you're an idiot if you go out you haven't proven anything. And other people told him the same thing. And when he met with Jeff Halfley, uh, who came in to kind of revitalize the secondary, he was sold. And so he came back and was a different guy. He bought in. He became a leader. He became a hard worker. I mean, all these things that, you know, he he had kind of been uh, a, mal- I don't say a malcontent, but he, he was just kind of an underachiever. And everything came together for him last year. And he he grew up he played so much better. He was uh, early in his career he would get all these these pass interference penalties and holding penalties. He was just so handsy. and he was much more disciplined last year, uh played with technique. I think you know in terms of the speed is he the fastest guy? No, but he's he's fast enough. I right. mean, I don't I don't think that's going to be an issue. Um and I I think he plays with a chip on his shoulder. I think uh I think he'll he'll do fine in the NFL. I don't think he's on Okuda's level. I don't think many people are, but I think he can be a very solid NFL cornerback for for several years. I I mean, I do. If you know, yes, I've heard the questions uh, about the maturity. I I talked with somebody who who said the teams have brought that up. Um, I I just know what I've heard from other people, which is that he's really grown up a lot this year. And, And Okuda said that. I asked Okuda about that. And he just raved about his maturity.
2: It's always good to hear about that with guys that you know are that wanna come out a year before they're supposed to. And then that transition helps them. It'll help them for the rest of their lives. They grow up there. Right. You know, now he's going to be able to go a little bit higher in the draft. Financially, he's going to be set for a while. So that's all good things for him. So that's a good thing. Um, my next my guy, because we got to crank through these things, John and I were talking a little bit about K.J. Hill before we, we came on the air here. Um, here's a guy that I, I just, you know, I love. And I, I feel like he's going to be a really good player in the National Football League. He's also a returner, which I think he'll get some, some looks at on special teams uh, being a rookie. Um, but talk to us a little bit about K.J. Hill, a little underrated after being the all-time receptions leader at Ohio State. I mean, come on. There's a lot of good receivers that came out of that place, and he's got it.
1: Yeah. You know, he's not a, he's not a burner. He's not going to be a guy that's going to beat you deep in the NFL. But in terms of a slot guy who yeah. get those third-down catches, he's he's perfect. He runs very disciplined routes. He's got very good hands. He's tough. He can make the spectacular catch. He, he almost never drops the routine ball. Um you know, is he a number one or number two receiver? No, but is he a number three? A really good number three in the slot? Absolutely. I sure. I think from mid round pick, uh, you, you take him and you say, okay, when it's third and seven, we can count on this guy.
0: Yep, Bill. Let me tell you, he, no one could cover him at the Senior Bowl. I mean, I'm telling you, right. he got open whenever he wanted. He was the toughest guy to cover there. And I don't want to make this into an uh, Ohio State promo here, though our, our buddy Dan Salomon, an Ohio State alum that writes for us, will be excited about it. <laughs> you already mentioned the coaching on the defensive line. I see yeah. the receivers coming out of Ohio State. Do things that other college receivers don't do in terms of their releases, how they operate at the top of their routes. I mean, just look at Terry McLaurin and his advanced route running that he brought to the pros last year. What is it about the way Brian Hartline coaches these guys? These guys just head into right. the pros. Their college numbers never wow you because you have a million guys to throw the ball to. But they hit the NFL and it's like, wow, they've been. you guys have coached the hell out of them.
1: Well, Hartline's been there for the last two years, I guess, last two years. Um, yeah, how can you forget when Zach Smith was when that happened? Uh, but Hartline obviously has the experience. He's He played in the NFL, and he was kind of an overachiever, played at Ohio State. I think he was a sixth-round pick, if I remember right, yeah. and had a very long, productive NFL career. And so he's got that instant respect, and he works hard at his craft. He's a very good recruiter. Brian Hartline is, is certainly a rising star among the, the assistant coaches at Ohio State. And the players swear by him. They just, they just, whatever he says to do, they do. And uh, you know, KJ Hill was one of those guys. Now, KJ Hill has always been a pretty polished route runner, uh, and he knows he has to be. He's not going to just outrun too many guys, so he's got to be that kind of guy. Who, and and he is. It's it's fun to watch him set up cornerbacks and, and linebackers and all that. It's because he's he's just really good at it, and you can tell he enjoys it. Um, you know, he's he's not a guy that does. Anything like brilliantly, but he does a lot of things really well. And um, like I said, I think for a, a slot receiver, he's, he's ideal.
0: All right, Jeffrey. How about Davon Hamilton? Um, I know the Lions' coaching staff at the Senior Bowl really liked him. Is he your prototypical yeah. run-stuffing defensive tackle?
1: Yeah, but a little more than that. He, he uh, you know, he played nose guard at Ohio State and. That's obviously a thankless position. You don't usually rack up a lot of stats, but he was a very good interior pass rusher. Uh, he's a little bit like Ham- uh, Harrison. <laughs> I will always get those guys mixed up. They're both <laughs> local guys from the Columbus area who are three-star, kind of under-recruited guys, and you know, low-key personalities. It's, it's crazy. Harrison, Hamilton, you know. Um, and he, he really came on last year as a junior, Robert Landers was more of the, the the starter, and then as a senior, they kind of flopped roles. I man still played a lot. It, it may have been uh, one played fifty-five to forty-five over the other instead of, you know, I mean, it was they share time. But but Hamilton really emerged this year as a as a fairly dominant player. And when you have Chase Young on one side, obviously it it, it helps. But he was a good player in his own right. I think as a you know mid-round guy. Who's certainly improving? I think he could. You could kind of get somebody on the rise who's going to continue to rise, and I, I, I'm pretty high on on him.
2: Yeah, I think he would fit in really good with any tough four three uh, right. uh, scheme for a team. He's a big dude, 320 pounds, at six foot four. Those are the yeah, kind of guys you like for to. Size. Sure, gets cool off the, the ball.
0: A uh, fi- final guy we want to ask you about, Bill, is Jonah Jackson. He, he seems to be built very oddly. He's got, like, thin legs, a huge upper body. like. And then you watch him, like, move just off to the side. Like, boy, this guy doesn't look like he can move or play football at all. Then you watch him play guard. And, I, you know, I, the, my big exposure to the guys is at the Senior Bowl. No one beat him there. I mean, you no one could get by him when he played guard at the Senior Bowl. And he was just so solid with everything he did from a technique standpoint. Um, so, how did you see Jonah Jackson at Ohio State? Was he as steady for the Buckeyes as I saw him in Mobile?
1: Yeah, he, he was. He was very good. Now, obviously, he played at Rutgers, and so he goes from a team that that obviously struggled terribly to one of the best teams in the country. And when you step in as a grad transfer, especially when guys have been there and been working, and then all of a sudden this new guy comes in, you'd almost think there would have to be some animosity, there's at least some resentment or jealousy, whatever. They they loved him. They, Jonah Jackson came in and worked hard, kept his mouth shut, and just became an instant leader. And uh, filled a spot, played very, very well last year. Yeah, he's he's such a nice guy, a smart, thoughtful guy off the field. And then he gets on the field, and he's just like a monster. He's just nasty. They they talked about how he played, through, you know, he talked about playing through the whistle. And then he had the most kind of. Uh, I forget what the word is. You know, not pancakes, but basically pancakes. Led the <laughs> team in that, and he, he plays with a nasty streak, but he, he's just a really nice guy. Uh, very smart, and uh, yeah, it's, I think that you know, I, you know, guards aren't going to go that high. He's not. He's not an elite athlete, but he's going to know his assignments. He's going to give everything he's got. I think he can be a starter in the NFL. I mean, I, I really do. I think that that um, the way he came in and adapted to a completely different culture and did so so quickly and seamlessly it speaks, speaks very well for him.
0: Bill, awesome stuff, my friend. We really appreciate yeah. the time once again. Hope you and your family stay safe. Um, enjoy however much longer this is going to last, knocking on wood, hopefully not that much longer. <laughs> yeah. And we will talk to you down the road, all right? Thank you so much, Sounds Bill. Good.
1: Always good to be on with you guys. Yeah. Always
0: good to have you, Bill. You know your stuff, and we really appreciate your knowledge and your expertise. That's Bill Urbinautz, covers Ohio State for the Dispatch. Does a fantastic job. We thank him for joining us on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We're going to have Benjamin Solak and Trevor Sikema in just a moment here, but Jeff, we have a little controversy from last week's edition of Did You Play I, with Jeff Well, Eagles.
2: then let's let's just let's just sum this up, okay? Let's get it on the table. And did I was two for three last week, according to all reports according to the rules of the past. And you said I was oh for 3. Well, so explain yourself, I, I, I decided
0: to stiffen the rules kind of on a whim. I didn't even plan on doing it going into the show. It kind of just happened. I blame the fact that I kind of like a toddler brain from watching my, my toddler every day. So I'm going to use that as an excuse. I blame Clara. Uh, <laughs> okay. So, so, folks, basically the rule is he has to say whether or not he played with the guy. And if he gets that part right... And he did play with the player. He has to get either the team he played with him for or the position he played. And last week, I made him get uh, three out of three, not two out of three. So... (laughs) Detail, shmeetails. I, mean, <laughs> I get I it. I mean,
2: seriously, now. I mean, th- enough. Three for three out of three is tough. Uh, it is tough. I know. And and
0: our diligent fans on Twitter called me out on it. I give them credit. I'm surprised Jeff didn't call me out on the spot. To be honest with you, but uh, let's play this week because we got a couple minutes before we get Trevor and all Ben right, on let's the go. line here. All right, all Jeff, right, you ready let's to go? go. So, we're too, right.
2: we're, we are we are going to officially say that the rules are bound now back in effect. Yes. Two out of three. You you, oh, have, okay. you had two out of right. three. Last oh.
0: week. It's time to play. Did you play with Jeff Fiegel? Thousands of players, 30 years in the NFL. He's really old. Who does Jeff remember? Let's find out because his memory stinks. All right, here we go. Uh, (laughs) That's good. I like that. All right. No problem. Did you play with Mike Young? Did you play with Mike Young? Oh, I got you. I got gotcha. you. Let
2: me just give you a little insight into Jeff's brain. So when you name these names, okay, <laughs> when you say these names, I, I, I instantly try to go back and picture them in uniform with the ne- with the last name yep. on their t- uniform, okay. right? So that's the first thing I try to, unless it's somebody I know Im- immediately. In this case, I do not know this guy. Um, and I'm guessing that I did not play with him because I don't remember there too many youngs. Uh, You lose.
0: (laughs) You played with Mike Young in 1993 with the Philadelphia Eagles. He caught 14 passes that year for 186 yards and played in 10 games.
2: Well, he didn't do much with the receiver, so I should have known him. He was obviously a special teams guy. He was was
0: actually, you know, I'm not sure if he was. He was a little older at that point. Um, That was at the end of his career. He actually, believe it or not, I'm not familiar with Mayo. He had a 10-year NFL career. He had 144 career catches in the pros but he only played one year with you with the Eagles. Okay, next one. (laughs) Did you play with Reggie Bullock? Did you play with
2: Reggie Bullock? I know a Keith Bullock, uh, but a Reggie Bullock? No, never played with Reggie. Ding, 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 ding. You there did not play with okay. Reggie Bullock unless Why? you played for the New York Knicks last year. <laughs> See, I knew there was a basketball guy it's coming always here. It. I actually thought the, the name before this was a basketball guy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> did you play with Willie Scott? Did you play
2: with Willie Scott? Hmm. I know one Scott I played with. He was a lineman, but Willie Scott, I don't think I did. No, I don't think I don't recognize Willie. No, sorry, Willie.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Willie Scott was a a teammate of yours for the New England Patriots in 1988. He caught one pass for eight yards. (laughs) (laughs) He did start in a game, though. And he's oh, probably have known a special him, teamer. Yes. And <laughs> I definitely will... should have known him. Yes. Listen, that was yeah. my
2: first year in the NFL. I yes. can't even remember who was on that team, let alone I was just trying to make the team for God's sakes. Wow. And he also played tight end that year.
0: So there oh, you sure. go. Okay. Willie Scott, Jeff, you missed him. All right, you Willie ready for our next Scott. guest? I am. Let's go. Who All right, we here we go. Here? So we're going to do something a little bit different here. We've never actually done this, I don't think. And the fact that I'm doing this from my basement makes me worry if it's going to work or not. But we're going to find out in just a second. We're joined by the two hosts of the On NFL Draft Podcast, and you know their work on the Draft Network, Trevor Sickema and Benjamin Solak, the duo, joining us on Big Blue Kickoff Live today on Giants.com. Gentlemen, how are you?
3: John, Jeff, good to be with you guys. I hope you can uh, hope you can hear us Well, we're trying to run this. Both of us at the same time, so hopefully everything's good on your end.
2: Yeah, we hear you, you fine. You only
3: hear one of us. Hopefully it's just
0: me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sa- sadly, Ben, we can't hear both of you guys. Uh- <laughs> yes. All right, so let- let's start here. Um, when the Giants get the pick, there's a good chance that they're going to have a choice of, if someone trades up for Tua, they could have a choice between Isaiah Simmons and Jeffrey Okuda. If I throw need and positional value and throw it into the garbage can, I get rid of it, what do you guys think of the decision between those two guys simply based on player ability and grade, everything else thrown out of the, throw it out of the window?
3: Ben, you want to handle this one or you want me to do it?
4: Yeah, it's a good one for me because for many, many, many months of this draft, like, I would have told you Isaiah Simmons without hesitating. And, and then I watched a lot of Jeffrey Akuda's 2019 film. And, and 2018 wasn't elite for Akuda. There were issues in spacing and man coverage. There were issues guessing uh, in zone coverage. He did not have the full, consummate, complete tape that you wanted to see from an elite cornerback drafted in the top five, drafted in the top ten, the way that Denzel Ward was before him. And now you look at the 2019 film. I mean, it's the best film I've watched of Ohio State corners, of any corner, over the past two years. So this is a true blue-chip talent. I didn't think he was going to be able to beat my Isaiah Simmons grade. He boot out the water. Uh, this is a, a tremendously talented young player. And the other thing is, you said throwing positional. Need-out-set-throwing, you know, uh, what, what's the value going to be? What exactly do the Giants want? With Simmons, I know he's really talented. I don't know exactly where he plays. And so already, even though he's wicked talented, it throws a, a, a wrench into how I project his year one, year two, year three, because I don't even know where he's going to end up. So there's uncertainty baked into that. Akuda, I know exactly where he's going to end up, outside corner. I know it's one of the most difficult and important positions to play, and I know an elite one changes my defense. So there's certainty that if he's the player I think he's going to be, that talent's going to bear itself out into actual wins, and that's what we want to do when we draft players. So Akuda well, to me, is the clear answer.
0: And I'm sure you guys have talked about this on, on your podcast. Where do you guys think? Both of you, maybe you have different opinions, where you think Simmons will fit best and be as productive and valuable as possible in the NFL.
3: So I would tell you, you're you're definitely playing Simmons, I think, somewhere in the middle. You're allowed to get his versatility there, and I think that that's where you started. I know a lot of people go like, oh, he's much more than an off-ball linebacker, but I'm starting him an off-ball linebacker because that's, you know, when you're running multiple fronts, you're allowed to play him in, in different kinds of edge sets. You're allowed to use him in the blitz plenty. And I think that also, man, his his coverage range when he's doing zone. I know everybody talks about the man coverage assignments, and, that skill is, and, and length is certainly there for him to be a good shutdown slot guy, but for a guy who can drop that far back into into any kind of zone coverage from a linebacker spot, there's just so much range there. And once he gets into the NFL and into an NFL system and really starts to pick things up, uh, acclimated to the speed of the game, which we know he has the athleticism to do, once the mental processing picks up, he can read quarterback size, read things out of his peripheral vision. I mean, this guy might have just the deepest and widest zone coverage ability of almost any linebacker uh, in the NFL and so I think that that's probably where you start him at and then you kind of figure out in the NFL. Certainly in college he was playing at a high level playing at Clemson. They had a lot of uh, really good opponents that they played over the last couple of years of him being a consistent starter, but it's not going to be it's not going to be like that in the NFL. Every week you're going up against some of the best players that you've ever, you've ever faced before. So I don't think the position versatility is As vast as it was in college for him, just because of a freak athlete that he was. But I think you start him, you play him in the middle, you allow him to have an impact really is a centerpiece of that defense, and then you figure out what little parts of those other positions he does really, really well, because if it is more man coverage, then you're probably playing him against tight ends quite a bit. If it is rushing off the edge, then you're obviously going to put him in positions to be able to do that quite a bit, and so I think that you start him off playing him as an off ball, but you certainly are allowed to get creative with some of the other things that he's doing, even if it might not be as versatile as it was in Clemson, just because of how much more athletic he was than everybody else.
2: Yeah, I think
4: when you look at
3: Simmons in an NFL defense, the first
4: thing that I want him to do for me is I want him to take away RPOs because to take away RPOs, you need ridiculous reflexes. Yep. You need elite size. because You've got to be able to close those underneath throwing windows and, and occupy that space. And then I want you to have ball skills and quickness. And and, and Simmons has all of those in space. That's where his game is at the best. Clemson had him playing deeper than the average overhang, deeper than the average linebacker, because they really liked his ability to close downhill, right? To come and play forward, play fast, play with aggression. They wanted him to be quick to flow, and they wanted to protect him from blocks. If I'm playing him at traditional overhang in the NFL, he's going to have to deal with a little bit more contact. He's not going to be able to play as forward, as aggressively coming downhill as he did in Clemson, which then leads you to try to put him at 4-3 will, which is where he's going to have a little bit more run responsibility, a little less pass coverage responsibility, but he's going to have the ability to be free to flow, the ability to be a run-and-chase player, really utilize that length, that long speed and that quickness, and he's still going to be a player that occupies a ton of short zones for me. So I look at a player who plays from the 4-3 will to the overhang, and that's how teams are going to understand him because that's just the general paradigm of NFL defenses. NFL defenses don't run the way Brett Venables ran the, his defense. So the spot Simmons played doesn't exist in the NFL. He's going to have to change roles a little bit, but when I look at his skill set, I look at how NFL offenses are getting attacked in the modern NFL, I think he fits 4-3 will maybe on the overhang.
2: Well, one thing that we have heard from the Giants' new defensive coordinator, we don't know officially what type of front they're going to play. We just have been told it's multiple. So I would imagine that that Patrick Graham is going to be in that draft room knowing – uh, the possibility of where they're going to put him, um, and he will probably fit into any bag of tricks that they have uh, going along the, guy, the What the things that you guys said. I want to segue over to which I believe I'm a big proponent of this because I feel like this is more of a need for the Giants with the drafting of Daniel Jones last year, and that's at the offensive line position, particularly at the tackle. Um, I know that this is a, a very deep draft. Some people say it is. Um, but I would love to hear from you guys if you had an idea of the Giants and they were going to go at that offensive tackle. Would it be a Becton, a Thomas, Wills, w- worse? W- which one do you guys like for the Giants?
3: Yeah, I, it's, when you look at this offensive tackle class, I mean, I think it's so great at the top. You know, We talk about these, these big four guys that are in this class, and it's hard to go wrong with any of them. Certainly the scheme that they're uh, looking to run, We'll go into how these guys are being picked, one through four, but I've said this before, man. If you get Jedrick Willis, Tristan Wirth, Mekhi Becht, and Andrew Thomas, you take one of those guys out and put them in a different draft class, they could be OT one. And here they are sitting there all four uh, yeah. in this draft class, which is a treat for any team needing a top ten offensive tackle. You know, for the Giants, I really look at Jedrick Wills and Andrew Thomas as the top two guys for them. I just think that their floors, these guys – Are so high. And, you know, the ceiling for Andrew Thomas might be a little lower than the ceiling for, say, like a guy like Makai Beckton, just because of his sheer size and how athletic he is in that way. And then Tristan Worf, you know, we we saw him put on a show at the combine. And, you know, anybody who moves with that kind of nature and his wrestling background and the core strength that he has, the ceiling is naturally higher with those two guys. But I think that for what the Giants are looking to do and uh, how they kind of handled Daniel Jones last year, Andrew Thomas or Jedrick Wills would be my one and two for the direction that they would possibly okay. want to go. It just depends. Would they rather have Andrew Thomas, who is more of a left tackle, he's just more comfortable there, he's played it longer. Jedrick Wills, more of a right tackle kind of a guy. He's played that there. Not that either one can't play opposite side. It's just more natural for those guys at those spots, and I think both of them could honestly be week one impact players for him no matter what. And so uh, it's hard to go wrong with any of these four, but for the Giants specifically, just because of how pro-ready I think Jedrick Wills and Andrew Thomas are, I think those would be my one and two for the Giants at number four.
4: Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on philosophically where we're at in the Dave Gettleman-Joe Judge hiring. With Joe Judge's first year, we don't know exactly what the team's going to want to do. If this were last year, I'd tell you that, Dave Gettleman and, and the offensive lineman he's liked in the past and the way that they want to run the football on offense, I extremely would expect Tristan Works to be the top guy on their board. If it wasn't him, Makai Beckton. I think those are probably your best run-blocking, people-moving offensive tackles that you've got at the top of this class. <laughs> Makai Becton's an interesting one because his comparisons are, are few and far between because of how big he is. And if you're making one of them Nate Solder, then I don't know if the Giants particularly would be the team that would draft a guy who compares to Nate Solder because they haven't necessarily had too much success Uh, with Nate Solder at left tackle, that's a contract they might be looking to move on from in the next year or so. And so it does. uh, there's a lot of factors to consider when it comes to who's going to be selected here because I do believe that you're going to have at least three, if not all four of those guys, have a good enough grade that you're comfortable drafting them at four. It starts going into what sort of player you like, what your philosophy is going to try to be on offense. If Joe Judge has brought from him and New England, The love that Bill Belichick had for Kirk Ferentz and the relationship between those two programs, I wouldn't be surprised to see Tristan works off the board. I agree with Trevor. Uh, Andrew Thomas and Jedrick Wills are my two top-ranked offensive tackles. If I were in the room, I'd be pounding the table for Jedrick Wills, assuming he's completely healthy. It's a real toss-up between those four guys. I don't think you can go wrong in any direction. A lot of it just depends on what your philosophy is.
0: I want to follow up on the offensive line because let's say, guys, And maybe we can attack them in two different ways. If the Giants are choosing between a Simmons and an offensive lineman there at one, but then they're thinking, all right, well, maybe we got to look ahead now. Which group can I find a better player at at the top of round two? So let's drop to that second or third tier of those two positions, the off-ball linebacker and the offensive tackle class. If the Giants wait till the second round, which they have the fourth pick in the round, to go with one of those positions— what offensive lineman do you think will be left? Will the, the offensive tackle class, do you think there will be a tackle worth that selection on the board when they pick at 36? And same question for the off ball inside linebacker spot.
4: Yeah, it's a tricky question to say who will be left at Isaiah Simmons' position, right? Because we just talked about Isaiah Simmons, <laughs> right. man. I don't know if we got another one like this. If we have anybody, right, it's maybe like a Jeremy Chin, Kyle Duggar, these two small school guys, these huge jumbo size safeties who might be linebackers at the NFL level. If you're talking just traditional line, off-ball linebackers, which, you know, uh, they certainly need there in New York, Kenneth Murray and Patrick Queen, number two and three of the position, both figure to be gone Uh, by the time we get to 37. That's Murray out of Oklahoma and Queen out of LSU. Accordingly, I'm very hesitant to draft a linebacker in the top 40 if it's not one of those three. I wouldn't be comfortable with it. I think that we're going to be at a bad spot at the top of the second round at that position that you'd be reaching on a Malik Harrison uh, out of Ohio State, Willie Gay out of Mississippi State, Marcus Bailey out of Purdue. Unless you're going after one of those other combo safeties I named and trying to get them to be a Simmons-like hybrid player, you really don't have uh, a recourse as linebacker. So to me, offensive tackle, which is an extremely deep class, an extremely talented class, that's the one I look at. As in the top for the second round at 37. If I've got Lucas Niang out of TCU, I know John, we talked about him at the combine and how yep. much I like him. If I've got him there at 37, if I have some of these athletic developmental guys in you know, an Ezra Cleveland out of Boise, uh, Prince Tegel Winogo out of Auburn, if I have uh, those are great movers, or I can talk about an Isaiah Wilson out of Georgia, uh, Matt Payer out of UConn, these guys with tremendous size. I have dudes with, with starter caliber traits who maybe aren't ready to be great starters on week one, but by the time we get the second half of the season. They'll settle into NFL play. We see that a lot with some of these young tackles who come out. And of course, like I referenced with Nate Solder the, the Giants have a big need at right tackle. They probably won't have a big need at left tackle until next year. So it's okay to get a guy who maybe needs a little bit of time to develop. The, there are a lot of names I'd be very comfortable drafting at 37 for the offensive
3: tackle class as opposed to the linebacker class, which I think will be you know empty of talent. And just a, a reflection on, on Ben's answer there. I, I think that you know normally when you look at the NFL draft history tells us that you know passers pass protectors and pass rushers right those yep. are the positions that go really high in the draft and so normally when you were to, when you would ask this question uh, and you would say hey which one are you picking first I think the obvious answer would almost always be, yeah, you have to go with the offensive tackle because linebacker, you know, we've had a couple of linebackers go pretty high over the last couple of drafts, but generally they just don't pick that. They don't get picked that high. So you think your chances are much better for getting an impact linebacker later in the draft, but because of what Ben said, and I fully agree with it, I think Isaiah Simmons and then Patrick Queen and Kenneth Murray, they're all going to be off the board by the time the Giants get the pick around the top of the second round. And so, if th- with your question here, although it's, it's funny because in most other drafts it wouldn't be the case, I would agree with Ben. I would say that, look, if, if linebacker is, is a big need, or if, if you think linebacker and offensive tackle are almost these one-on-one needs and say you have the chance to get an Isaiah Simmons, you have a much better chance at getting a starting caliber offensive tackle at the top of the second round than a linebacker. And that's just a sentence that does not get uttered every single year, and it talks about how unique this draft class is.
2: John, did you have another question? Yeah, you know, let me follow
0: up. Let me do one more thing on the linebackers. You mentioned Queen and Murray, and I agree. I think if the Giants want to get one of those two guys, they may have to trade back up, which is something Dave Gettleman has done in the past. I watched both guys probably four or five games of each guy yesterday. And, you know, Murray's an interesting prospect. I think Queen can do a little bit of everything. I think he can pattern read, he can move, he can run. Both guys are great athletes. When I watched Murray, I feel like he should be a better coverage linebacker than he is given his athletic profile, I feel like a lot of times he'll get caught, guys, watching the quarterback in the middle of the field. He'll lose track of the guy he's supposed to be covering in zone and you know maybe coming across in a crossing pattern in front of him. How do you think of both those two guys in terms of their coverage potential on in the next level?
4: Yeah, I think Patrick Queen's a special coverage player. I, I got a, a higher Patrick, Patrick Queen grade than I think a lot of people you'll meet, and I'm comfortable with it. The kid moves and reads like uh, a lot of linebackers don't and there's, there's a Dion Jones, Levante, David comparison that floats around that I think is justified. Uh, when, when we watch a player like Queen sit in short zones, so all those underneath zones, curl, curl, the, the whole zone in cover two, and he adjusts to routes developing behind him, it's clearly indicative of film study and understanding where the quarterback's odds are taking him. I agree. He's not aggressive. He doesn't get pushed out of position. He's a special coverage player. Murray, on the other hand, in the Big 12, we got three pass rushers on the field as down lineman, and we're out here in diamond quarter defense. When it came long and late downs, Oklahoma wasn't messing around with, with a relatively linear athlete in Murray. Cause I agree, he's a good athlete, but he's, if anything, he's stiff. He's not a great uh, transition player. He can't flip his hips that easily. So we didn't mess around with putting him in coverage when we had six defensive backs, seven defensive backs on the field. We blitzed him. And we blitzed him because he's 6'2", 240, and hits like a ton of bricks. You know, like, this wasn't a hard decision for Alex Grinch in that final season for Murray at Oklahoma. They didn't need to be putting him into coverage. He was going to be more effective to them closing against mobile quarterbacks, which they saw a lot of, playing QB spy, and then also rushing from uh, sugar A-gap alignments. Queen and Murray were asked to do completely different things on passing downs. So if you're prioritizing passing downs on your linebackers, which I'm not sure the Giants are – You know, Blake Martinez signing indicates to me they're interested in running downs, not passing downs. If you're interested in passing downs, Murray's not the players you're going to be prioritizing. It's going to be Queen. They're of
3: a complete different mold in regards to those specific alignments, those responsibilities. Yeah, it's funny because both of these guys, right, they showed up to the combine, and I think they had great athletic tests. Yep. Um, I remember, you know, Kenneth Murray had above 90 percentile scores in – Broad and the uh, the 40 yard dash, and he was right around 90 with the vert. And then Patrick Queen comes in, runs an even faster 40 yard dash. You go, okay, these guys are, you know, clearly very athletic linebackers. But I think. Ben kind of hit the nail on the head there. They're athletic in different ways, and that's a really important part of assessing their film. I think Murray is much more of a downhill kind of a player. He's a guy, the word linear that Ben used there I think is is correct, where he's just looking into the backfield, and he's going point A to point B straight in front of him, whereas Patrick Queen seems a lot more smooth. But even more than that, playing coverage it's it, it's it's a lot about feel, right? It's a lot of peripheral vision. You're looking at things running across you're trying to process things the pattern at a very area. high speed. Yes. I mean you are you are trying to just kind of take everything in and position yourself the way that you need to while paying attention in a lot of different areas. That's tough to teach and to that point, man, Patrick Murray, or, or Patrick Queen, sorry, does it very, very well for, uh, for a player his age. And so you have a lot of, uh, of faith that he can continue to do that and even take it to the next level in the NFL.
2: Go ahead, Jeff. All right, guys, we got a couple minutes left. I came up with some really quick questions here. I would love to get your, your answers on these, and I know that our listeners will too. Uh, my first question, if I put you up against the, uh, up against the board here, uh, Giants are going to go offense or defense with that first pick in the draft, Trevor. Uh,
3: I think I think they're going to go offense. I'll say offense because I think okay, it's over. Ben. I
2: feel the
4: same. I think they're going to prioritize tackle.
2: Very good. You guys both agree with me. That's you get you get a, <laughs> you get a big star. Okay. Um, here's the other one. So, what is in your mind going to be the biggest trade that we see in that first round, and who?
3: Oh wow! I think. I guess just off the top of my head, I'll say Carolina gets a little crazy. They trade back. They're looking to pick up 2021 assets. So I don't even know if they'll get anything much this year, and they'll start building that draft class towards next year. I'll say Carolina. Interesting. I think we see the Chargers take a tackle at 6, sit on the back half of the first round and
4: trade back up from, I think they've got 38, maybe 39. Uh, and get back in the first round to try to grab a quarterback of the future i think they i think that jordan love might be able to make it that far that they trade back
2: up to get him that would be amazing that would be really cool i would like to see jordan love make it somewhere in the first round i think he's got good talent um and then give me a surprise trade something just out of the blue you're like whoa where did this come from
3: Ooh, a surprise trade out of the blue ben do you have one right off the top of your head I do, yeah. The, the New Orleans
4: Saints don't have a ton of future draft picks as a result of the trades they've already made, but this team is always good for doing something on draft day that we don't get, and they're very clearly still kind of knocking on that door of the NFC Championship and getting to the Super Bowl. So two firsts for Marcus Davenport already happened. I don't know if it gets more surprising than that. They had the big move-up for Eric McCoy last year, the center out of Texas A&M. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Saints always seem good for an aggressive move-up to go get one of their guys that they need, and that roster doesn't have many holes. So I wouldn't be surprised if if they see a wide receiver that they think can fill out that roster. They see a corner that can challenge on the outside for Janoris Jenkins and he circles in a
3: range. They'll move up 20 plus picks to go get him. Wow. I'll say I'll give you, I'll give you two teams since I didn't have one right off the bat. I think Atlanta's in an interesting spot to get really aggressive. I think Dan Quinn and uh, Thomas Dimitrov are, are in a situation where they've really got to make sure that they win this year. I mean they were mm-hmm. on the hot seat last year and were brought back in. So I think that this is a crucial time to get an impact player that can really help them right away next year. And then the other one, I'll say Tampa Bay, because when you look at that roster, it's a young defense, and then obviously Tom Brady on the other side. Their only real glaring need right now is to help out that offensive uh, line, really at offensive tackle. At 14, they're really risking getting one of those top four offensive tackles we talk so much about. I could see Bruce Arians, who loves to get aggressive, getting a little aggressive here and maybe popping up even into the top 10 to get one of those uh, top four offensive linemen
2: maybe he goes up and trades with number eight with his old team the cardinals who knows could be Um, could be here's another one good for you both you guys give me your 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 surprise pick in the top 10 a player that you feel like people just going to be you know what we had an idea maybe he might be in there but from out of the blue this is a big surprise
3: Caleb on Chase on maybe I think he would be he would be mine unless unless we want to go C J Henderson I don't know how many people think that C J Henderson going in the top ten is a big surprise at this point obviously he put on a show at the combine so mm-hmm. his name kind of popped up around the top ten then depending on how realistic you think that is but other than that maybe Caleb on Chase on just because after Chase Young it's it's kind of Chase on, and then who are we looking at for the edge class, right? And so, if you really need an edge rusher coming from this draft and you can need a guy who can impact you right away as long as, uh, or as well as have a long term potential future with you, Chase on's the guy. You might have to go up and get him, get aggressive for him. And so, I'll say that those two, maybe some out of the blue picks for the top 10. Gotcha.
4: Yeah, I, the first player that immediately pops in my head was CJ Anderson, corner out of Florida. The the internet right Twitter and the drafts have kind of gone around on him. Everybody loved him coming into the season. He had tackling issues this year. They all fell off him, and now we're kind of back on the on the wagging. So the coverage ability is so good. Jacksonville at nine stands out to me as a team that would prioritize Henderson, given what they just lost in Ramsey and Boye over the past calendar year. If they if Henderson's the, the corner two on their board, they take him at nine. I don't think we should be surprised, but I think a lot of people would be.
0: How about Rugs? Do you guys think Rugs could jump into that top ten?
4: I do. I'm I I'm nev- John, I'm not going to lie to you and say I can predict this wide receiver group, man. I mean, like, this talent is so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'll, tell, I'll
3: put it to you this way. Ben, that's if, your job, man. You're supposed <laughs> to <laughs> <Yes. All right. laughs> our job is. We're if if my to- paycheck <laughs> were on the line, which it is, I would say I think Ruggs is the first wide
4: receiver off the board. Wow. That, that would be my guess. Yeah. yeah. Listen, speed does, does something to offensive Evaluators. When you have elite speed, I mean, like, these guys get hard eyes, right? It's like the cartoons, their eyes come out of their sockets. It's crazy. Yeah. So, I, I do think Ruggs is the first receiver off the board. Top 10, man, ugh, it's tough. You're going to need a team. Like, with, with, with the Cardinals now not taking a wide receiver at at eight, we assume, because of as a result of the Andre Hopkins trade, it really has to be, like, the Jaguars at nine, just getting super aggressive at going after wide receiver when they don't necessarily have to. Maybe Carolina, if they don't like D.J. Moore and Curtis Samuels, the new coaching staff, it's tough to find the team. But listen, we didn't think the Bengals were going to take John Ross at nine, and then he ran a 4-2-2, and
3: things changed pretty quick. So. Yeah. Speed surprises people. New York Jets could also take Ruggs at 11, and we, we figured the Las Vegas Raiders are going to be in on Ruggs too, so they might even trade up a couple of spots to hop the Jets for, for him. So I think that there's a possibility for him to go in a couple of different places because, like you said, you can't teach that speed. But more than that, I think just people are coming to grips with Ruggs is so much more than just the world-class speed. He's got the toughness. He's got the mentality. He's, he's a guy that you'd love to have on your team.
0: I want to follow up on a question Jeff asked earlier about a a surprise trade. Well, how about the trade that everyone's expecting, that someone is going to trade up for Tua? Do you, A, think a team will trade up for Tua? Do you think the fact that these visits might not be able to happen between now and the draft might make a team like the Dolphins or the Chargers just sit there and wait for him? How do you think the Tua sweepstakes is going to play itself out, assuming Burrow and Chase Young are the first two picks off the board?
3: Yeah, well, it's kind of it's interesting here because if you go back a month or two, you could have looked at both Miami, the Chargers, Carolina. they are six, seven, boom, 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 right there, all three in a position to trade up to go get to a of and, and you could trade up to number two with Washington. You could trade up to number three with Detroit, whichever one it was. And those teams wouldn't be dropping that far in the draft. So you think, okay, then it's worth it. Uh, now we're kind of sitting here and it's like, and the Chargers have come out, say they're okay with running into the season with Tyrod Taylor. Carolina does not seem to be building towards taking a quarterback this year with uh, with the Bridgewater signing and, and, the, and the P.J. Walker signing as well. And so you kind of look at it and you go, wait a sec, is really Miami the only team that would be moving up to number two? I, there, there's not too many other teams. I mean, if Las Vegas maybe wanted to get really aggressive in getting that, Jacksonville could as well, but I don't think they're going to do that. And so – Really, the list of teams that would trade up for Tua Tungvalu just is not as solidified as what we thought it once was. And so if Miami thinks and has good intel and knows, oh, hey, we could sit at five and we'll still get Tua, then they won't have to. I think it'd be crazy to think that uh, there'd be a draft where it wasn't two quarterbacks that went in the top three. That's just the the, the day and age that we are in. But I'll say the competition for Miami, I think, is just a lot less than what we thought it would be.
4: Yeah, for me, it it, goes, it boils down to what teams are going to want to go up against Miami's treasure chest of draft picks to try to create a trade. Now, that's conditional on Miami being so interested in Tua that they're obviously not going to let anybody else go get him. But if you're the Chargers or if you're the Jaguars or Las Vegas, whoever you want to talk about, and you want to go up and get Tua, well, you've got a, a, a tough road to hoe because you got to beat a team that's got three first-round picks this year and then two first-round picks next year. You know, like it, it's – It's a difficult proposition. So my guess is trades will get discussed, trades will be on the table, Miami will tell Detroit and Washington, listen, you get an offer, you call us and we'll match it and we'll put another first on it. We don't care. Uh, But after that, all those conversations, after all that posturing, I wouldn't be surprised if the the top of the first round remains untouched and unchanged just because I think, yeah, teams are going to be more – Patient, a little bit more reserved as a result of the, the the issues with pro days and bringing players in. And I think that Miami's got kind of that nuclear deterrent in terms of their war chest just being so big.
2: I uh, sure would like to get one of those those one of those picks. I really do, because the Giants, they, you know, they have a second round pick, and then they don't pick until 99 in the third round. Man, would I love the Giants to just trade down a spot with the with the with the, Dolph- with the Dolphins? They don't have to get one of those first rounds. I'll take a second round, a high second round for for somebody there. Um, hey but, Jeff, right. honestly, Jeff, knowing you, you would probably take that pick at the top of the third round just to move down one slot. <laughs> <laughs> I probably would. It,
3: it could it could be worse. It could be San Francisco. They pick thirteen thirty one, and then they don't pick till one fifty seven after that. <laughs> so it could be worse.
2: Well, they got a pretty good team already. So <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, guys. Uh, final question before we wrap this sucker up. As all of us sift through all this tape. We all find pet cats, guys that we love, sometimes irrationally, that that aren't maybe the first-round picks, maybe not even second-round picks. Who are some of the pet cats that each of you have picked up watching tape that you're like, damn, I love this guy. I don't care what anybody else thinks of him.
3: Ben, I'll let you go first on this one. Yeah, so
4: Antonio Gibson out of Memphis got to be the first one. 6'2", 220, running back, wide receiver, hybrid. He ran exactly one contest for Memphis but he did it doggone well, and that's pretty much all they needed <laughs> in that backfield. If we're talking about a player to back up Saquon Barkley and present the same issues in terms of speed and explosiveness at his density, contact balance, and a receiving threat, gives him makes a
2: ton
4: of sense. I love the idea of him being in New York. I think there's a lot that he can learn from, from Barkley as well because he's got to get a lot of the nuance of the position down. On the defensive side of the football, I just watched Michael Walker, linebacker out of Fresno. This is the, you know, linebacker three, special teams, captain, weak side, safety hybrid duty you want on day three. He's wicked athletic. He's got a good processor between his ears. He's only played at, at FBS level for about two seasons, so significant improvement started for both those seasons. He won the job. Coming out of D2 College, transferring to Fresno, uber competitive, every intangible you want to see. The coaching staff there loves him, and he moves like silk. So he's a ton of fun to watch as well. Um, who else do I really like? Anthony Gordon's a fun one, quarterback out of Washington State. I like Damian Lewis, guard out of LSU. Yeah, too. He's a nasty. brick house. Yeah, he's nasty. Dude, he's as wide as he is tall, man. Like, he's just as <laughs> thick as they come. He's a powerful dude in the middle. So if you want to move people, uh, Damian Lewis is a good pick on day three. Get you a
3: starter opposite Will Hernandez. So some of those are some of my guys. I like Terrell Burgess a lot from Utah. I I, I don't think he's the most fluid athlete, but dude just gives a hundred percent. I thought he was really smart as a safety, and I I love watching safety play. Uh, I'm a sucker for that kind of stuff, and just I, he I was very surprised with how well he played. I think the, the Utah defense had a lot of names to know. He wasn't really a guy who was talked about, and so. I was I was very surprised at, uh, about how he played and, and everything I, that I've learned more about him, of the kind of player that he is and the kind of person that he is. He's just a guy that you bet on that you know you're going to get the highest ceiling out of him, so – Big fan of him and taking the bet on him. I like Lin Bowden out of Kentucky. Uh, he was a wide receiver the year before. Had to play quarterback this year because of everything that, that happened at Kentucky with the injury situation. And uh, Man, he was electric. I think that he's going to play wide receiver at the next level, although some people like him as a running back. But he's just... Man, he he's just got an attitude to him. He's got such a swagger. He's got such such a great determination. He's a player who's going to give it give you his all. Um, and if nothing else, I think he's just going to be a special teams monster for you, whether it is in the return game or or playing as a gunner or something like that. And those are two guys that I really really liked. And then, man, I, I got to give a shout out to uh, my alma mater Jabari Zuniga. I'm a big fan of his. If he's going in a straight line, he's got so much power in him at six foot three right around 265 pounds he's he's not the most fluid and bendy athlete off the edge so don't ask him to do that but if you switch him inside if you get him in some odd fronts you play him in some four eye maybe you kick him inside to play some three tech work i think if you just let him go straight he showed at the combine he's got a lot of explosiveness in his lower body and i think he can do some damage there so i really like him as a mid-round to late round pick if that's where you're getting him at wow
2: guys great stuff man that is good stuff guys yeah really i mean we're ready to go, right, John? We know everything
0: now. <laughs> uh, we, Jeff, luckily we still have some time. Luckily yeah, we got, a, got about, time, about, right. about four weeks before the draft gets here. Uh, ben, Trevor, we really appreciate the time, guys. Uh, let's touch base again before the draft. And, of course, uh, just tell the folks where they can find all your great work.
3: Yeah, all the uh, great work from Ben and I can be found over at thedraftnetwork.com. And then Ben and I run a podcast called Locked on NFL Draft every single weekday. So those are the two main places. And, uh, of course, on Twitter, at Tampa Bay Tray at Benjamin Select. That's where we link all the stuff that we do. We really appreciate you guys having us on. It was a blast.
2: Yeah, thank you guys so much. You guys do bring a lot of good stuff to the table, that's for sure. All right, guys, take it easy. Thank you. All
0: right, you do thank well, you. fellas. Thank you. You're very welcome. All right, there's Benjamin Solak, Trevor Sicken. We thank them. We thank Bill Rabinowitz from the dispatch that covers Ohio State. He was our first guest today. Jeff, good times
2: as always, my friend. Always good stuff. And, you know, not to mention, you mentioned Ben and Trevor. That's some, that's some good information there. And more importantly, they agree with me. <laughs> offensive line, first round, baby.
0: Let's go. I don't know if that you and Detino in a steel cage match <laughs> to decide if they're going to pick Isaiah Simmons or an yeah, offensive lineman.
2: You know what? It, and real quickly, I know the show is in but, you know, you got to really understand about uh, Simmons. And, and I think these guys hit the nail on the head that if you are a defensive team that's going to go after this guy, you know, you got to know where you're going to play him. Yep. You got to be pretty, pretty, you know, pretty specific. Like, OK, well, this guy's going to fit our scheme. And, you know, if he's going to Patrick Graham's going to have to find that, whatever it is for him, it's either. I don't know about you, John. I don't see him as much as an inside guy as, as Ben and Trevor do. Um, but who knows? What do I know?
0: Well, remember, they even used him as a single high safety there. His play yeah. in, in the college football playoffs to track that ball to the sideline for the pick was an unbelie- he's got unbelievable range. Like you said, yeah. there's a million ways you can use him. Jeff, yep. good times, my friend. Thank you, Johnny. For Jeff Eagles, I'm John Schmelk. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Stay safe, everybody. We'll see you next time.